With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking.、Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and、uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldick, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of Scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full-time rancher, having a down-to-earth, practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, video tape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson. Whenever there is a a typically reference a typical reference to the rock, the rock is Christ, none other. It'll never deviate. And so, whether it's back in Exodus, the rock struck, or a little later in in Numbers when Moses was supposed to have spoken to it, but he struck it, the rock is still Christ. You get to Daniel chapter. Chapter two, when he has the vision of that rock cut out without hands, and it strikes the image on its feet, that's the second coming of Christ, pictured as a smiting stone. And you come into Matthew, of course, where Peter made that tremendous confession of faith, and the Lord Jesus said, "Well, Peter, you're right. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that unto you." The Father, which is in heaven, revealed it unto you. And then he comes in that next verse, and he says, "Thou art Peter," which means a stone. But he says, "Upon this rock, capital R O C K, upon this rock, speaking of himself, upon Christ, see, he would found the church." And so we have to remember that all through Scripture, the rock is always Christ. In typical language. All right, now then, let's come on down to verse five, and again we're going to have to go back to Exodus. But in verse five of First Corinthians ten, he says, "But with many of them, that is, these Israelites who had all come out of Egypt, they all came through the Passover experience, they all came through the Red Sea experience, they're all gathered around Mount Sinai." And of course, Moses then has gone up into the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. All right, what took place below? Verse five. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now here it comes, just like we saw last week or last program in Romans chapter fifteen, verse six, where it said. All these things were written aforetime for our learning. Remember, we looked at it at the beginning of the program. Almost a repeat. Now he says these things that happened to Israel were our examples that we can learn from.、Uh, when I was a kid, they used to teach us with what they called、uh, flannel graph and object lessons. I loved object lessons because boy, they could have such an impact on a little kid's mind. And、uh, that's actually what these things concerning Israel were. They were good object lessons that told a distinct truth. All right. So he says these were our examples to the intent that we should learn. 
that like them we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. And then he quotes it, for the people rose up to eat, or they uh, sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. All right, let's go back and look at it again. Exodus chapter 32. And it is just as applicable for us today as it was for Corinth in Paul's day, and just as applicable as when it happened back in Exodus. Now, always remember, I've stressed this with my classes in Oklahoma so often. You know, I'm a proponent that we're not under law, we're under grace. But the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Mosaic Law, is the same God that we deal with today, and He has not changed. God has not changed. He is the same yesterday and forever, today and forever. All right, now what do we have to understand then? That the things that God hated way back in Genesis, God hates today. And the things that God admonished Israel not to do for their own good, He admonishes us today not to do for our own good, because He hasn't changed. The circumstances of the world have not changed. In other words, the things that, that damaged the health of an individual back in Israel's early days are no different than they do today. And so here's the lesson. All right, back to Exodus 32. Moses had been up in the mountain now for almost 40 days dealing with Jehovah God. God has already written with his finger, as the expression puts it, on the tables of stone, the Ten Commandments, and he and Joshua now has joined him, and they're on the way down from the mountaintop. Verse 1, Exodus 32, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, with a small g, make us gods which shall go before us, because after all, that's what they were used to in Egypt, you know. In Egypt, everything was a god for the Egyptians, and I imagine some of it had rubbed off, rubbed off on these Israelites. But anyway, they said, Make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we know not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Okay, break off your golden earrings and the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters. So this whole idea of men wearing rings in their ears is not new. They evidently did it way back here. And so he says, break off those golden earrings, bring them to me. And they did. Verse 3. And so all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received them at their hand and he fashioned it. He worked at it. He must have been a... Uh, a craftsman of some sort, so he took this gold and melted it, and he fashioned it with a graving tool, and he made the molten calf. And he said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which of course was an Egyptian god as well, the calf, the ox, or whatever, out of one of many. And uh, so they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, who brought thee up out of the land of Israel, well, now that was a lie. That golden calf had nothing to do with bringing them through the Red Sea. 
verse 5. Aaron. You know, I can never get over this man. I cannot get over Aaron. That he didn't even give him any argument. He should have preached him a sermon, shouldn't he? <laughs> but he just does whatever they want him to do. And so he fashions this golden calf so it can be an idol for him. And then he goes right on and encourages them and said, Okay, here's your God. And he's built an altar. See, well, he was part and parcel of it, the way it looks to me. I, I hope I don't have Aaron confront me in eternity someday and say, Hey, what was the big idea down there in Oklahoma? Running me up one side and down the other. Maybe it will. I don't know. But nevertheless, I can't figure the man out. How he went right along with all this and then actually helped him to build an altar all this old golden calf. And then Aaron made a proclamation, verse 5. And he says, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Now think about that. Here he was mixing the worship of this idol, this golden calf, and calling it a feast day of Jehovah. Now we think that's terrible. And it is. But you know what? They're doing the same thing today. They do the same thing today. I learned years ago that you can have some liberal, ultra-liberal preacher or theologian and he can talk about resurrection. He doesn't mean what we mean. He's talking about something totally different. And the same way with so much of the terminology of, of New Testament Christianity. They can use the same words, but not in the same definition. And so what do they do? The same thing. They use Christian language. They, they, they refer to being led by the Holy Spirit. To me, it's almost blasphemy, but they do it. All right, now that's exactly what Aaron is doing. He's taking the worship of this golden calf, pagan to the core, and then he says, tomorrow we'll call it a feast day of the Lord. Verse 6. So here's where Paul is quoting. And so they rose up early in the morning of the morrow and offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and to play. Amazing, isn't it? Here they've had the proof of the Almighty God in fire on the mountain, the pillar of fire at night as they came out of Egypt, that pillar of a cloud during the day to give them shade from the sun, and yet they can go right down into the depths of idolatry and worship a stupid golden calf. A dead thing with no life whatsoever. But, again, it was an emotional thing. See, it appealed to their emotions. You see what they did? Oh, with that calf in the center of the camp, they sat down to eat and they rose up to play. It was just a practice of the satisfa satisfaction of the flesh. Okay, now then verse 7. God has to move Moses out of the mountain experience a little bit. And he says, come on, Moses, get down. For thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Someone else didn't come in and do it. They did it of their own volition. They asked for it. You know, so often, even in our own present time, People who are guilty of things that are anti-scriptural will try to take the whole idea, well, I couldn't help it. I'm a victim of circumstances. No, they aren't. 
They are people of choice. And they make choices. And you can't get away from that. Or the same way here. These children of Israel were a people of choice. They didn't have to have that stupid calf. They weren't hurting. God was going to take care of them. But of their own volition, of their own choice, they said to Aaron, we've got to have a God to worship. As for Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. Okay? Now then, I'm not going to read all these verses, but let's come on over to the same chapter 32. And uh, verse 17. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, now remember, there, there were millions of them. And they were having a celebration in the worship of this golden calf. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there's noise of war in the camp. He thought the people were being attacked and were probably screaming and yelling, running for their lives, see. And Moses said, no, wait a minute, Joshua, listen, that's not the sound or the voice of them that cry for being overcome, verse 18, but I hear the noise of them that sing. See? And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh to the camp, that he saw the calf set out there in the middle, and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables, that is, with the Ten Commandments, out of his hands, and broke them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had burnt, and so on and so forth. Now then, I want you to come all the way for sake of time. He says to Aaron, verse 21, What did this people do to you that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? In other words, I imagine Moses thought these people must have literally threatened Aaron with his life. Either you build us a god or we'll kill you. I don't know. The book doesn't say that. But Moses is implying that the people put pressure on Aaron to bring all this about. And again, I can't understand Aaron. Look at his answer. Now, remember what it said in the previous verses, that he took the gold and he took the tool of a craftsman and he made the golden calf. But look what he says. And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people, that they are set in mischief. For they said to me, Make us gods which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we know not what has become of him. Verse 24, And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me. Now listen, boy, this is shocking. So I took the gold, cast it into the fire, and out came this calf. Now, if it would have happened that way, then I could see where Israel thought there was something supernatural going on. But that's the way it was. He melted the gold down and crafted it with a graving tool and made it. But he tells Moses this story. Unreal, isn't it? Now, you know, a lot of times people will look at the Scripture and they'll look at this and they'll think, well, now, why does God see fit to put something so ridiculous in His Word? I'll tell you why. To show us the bare human nature. 
All of these things that we think are so awful in the Old Testament, the instances of adultery and, uh, and drunkenness and all the horrible things that make up human experience. Why? To show us what man is really made of. Because whether it was 4,000 years ago or 3,000 or whether it's 10 years ago, man has not changed one iota, nor has God. Okay, now then. You come down to verse 25. It wasn't just a casual worshiping with dancing, native folk dancing and so forth. But how were they? Naked. Immoral. So what have they done? They had taken that golden calf worship and they had put it down to the same level of all other idolatry. And you know, I've taught that as long as I've been teaching. And if you don't believe me, you go to your encyclopedia or you go to foreign missionaries that know what it's like. And whenever you go into abject uh, pagan idolatry or the mythologies, the Greek gods and so forth, you always have rank immorality. It's just part and parcel of it because, of course, it's satanically controlled. And here's the evidence. So when Moses looks a little bit further, what does he see? that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked to their shame among their enemies. Well, anyway, then you know what happened. There were, what, 23,000 put to death through the plague because of this very event. Now then, come all the way back to Corinthians and see how Paul uses this, not only to shake the Corinthians up and bring them out of their temptations to go into these things, but for us as well. We're no different. We're not one iota different from the Corinthian believers. And unless we come away from a babe in Christ situation and begin to mature through Bible study, we're not going to be any different. All right, now back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8. Neither, Paul says, neither let us commit fornication or sexual immorality, as some of them committed. But now look, why did they commit sexual immorality? It was part of that worship of the golden calf. It was part and parcel of going back into idolatrous worship. And this was a real temptation to these Corinthians. They lived in the midst of it. They bumped up against these immoral priestesses every day. And it was a constant warning to flee from those things, see? Now he goes on in verse 9. Neither, he said, let us tempt. And I think the word should be test. Don't test Christ as some of them also tested him. And what did God have to do? He destroyed them with the serpents. Now, there again, we won't take time to go back and look that up. Do you remember the setting? As a result of Israel's sin, God sent poison serpents out amongst the camp. And the little rascals were poisonous, and they would, they would uh, uh, bite the Israelites, and they would swell up, and it was enough so that it would kill them. And boy, it got their attention. So now they had to go to run an errand and say, or oh, Moses, do something about these serpents. They're killing people. All right, Moses has to go to God. And what does God say? Well, you put up a brazen serpent. You all know the story. Put a brazen serpent up there on a pole. 
and tell the children of Israel that when they get bit by one of these little snakes, they can look at that brazen serpent and they'll be healed. Well, that, of course, was another foreview of the work of Christ, that he too, and remember, brass always speaks of judgment in the Bible. That's why it was a serpent to be made of brass, because it was a, a subject of, uh, of judgment, see? And so when they would look at that brazen serpent, then God would judge their sin and they would be healed. And it's the same way now for us when we look to Christ, who took our sin, on whom God's judgment fell. Then, of course, we are healed of our sin problem in what we call uh, forgiveness and salvation and justification and all the rest. All right, now then, verse 10. Neither, he said, murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And again, it's a reference to their wilderness experience. See, they were constantly getting in trouble. Verse 11, a repetition. And whenever you see repetition, remember it's there for a distinct purpose. Now, he repeats almost for the second time here, plus the one we saw in Romans. Now, all these things happen to them, to the Israelites in the wilderness, for examples. And they are written for our admonition. We're supposed to learn from it. Upon whom the ends of the age are come. Now then, verse 12. Here is a verse, I think, that is so apropos for every one of us. Wherefore, he says, let him that thinketh he stands take heed lest he fall. Every one of us are candidates for falling as Israel did. None of us can get puffed up and say, well, that would never happen to me. Oh, yes, it can. Let me show you another verse, Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, as Paul is writing to those churches up there in Asia Minor, in the area of what was called Galatia. And oh, if this isn't so appropriate for us today. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. And he says, brethren, if, see, it's conditional. No guaranteeing that it has to happen, but it can. If a man be overtaken in a fault, in other words, he fails, you who are spiritual, especially the leaders of the church, you who are spiritual, restore, see, restore such a one in the spirit of what? Meekness, not in the spirit of arrogance and pride as if to say, how in the world could you do this? That could never happen to me. Oh, no, we can never do that. But, Paul says, in the spirit of meekness, you approach that individual who has fallen. And he says, considering thyself, lest you also be what? Tempted or tested. So it can happen to anybody. And we have to be on guard constantly. All right, now if you'll come back with me again for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now verse 13. What a promise. What a promise. My, if you don't keep anything else from this afternoon's of four programs, get this one. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, we're not the only ones that are going to experience this. Everybody does, by virtue of our living in this world. 
So there is nothing that comes our way except that it's common to man. But even though we're not faithful, who is? God is. God is faithful who will not permit you to be tempted or tested. I still like the word test better. He will not permit you to be tested above that you are able, that is, to withstand, but will with the testing also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. I was reading a, a Greek author, and uh, his definition in the Greek here, uh, a way of escape, was really the picture of an army entrapped in a canyon of sorts. And when it just looked as though there was no escape, the commander finds another little canyon off to the side that he can let his army escape. And that's the picture here. We can find ourselves seemingly entrapped in a temptation and we think, oh no, what am I going to do? There's no escape. But there is. And God will reveal it to us at the appropriate time. Now, I haven't got time anymore. This only has a few seconds left. But when we start the next program, we're going to show what are the temptations that are common to every man, woman, boy, and girl living on this old planet Earth. They're the same for every individual. And, of course, the Lord Jesus himself faced them all so that we can look in another vase that... He knows because he has been there. Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. Or you can call us toll-free if you'd like at 1-800-369-7856. That's 1-800-369-7856. Remember, this is a faith ministry, and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. And our phone is 1-800-369-7856. Thanks again for listening, and please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.